You know, in this this series that we've been going through, and I know we had a little bit of a pause and an advertisement. Some of us went on a holiday spree when we had the back-to-school bash, and then last week we dedicated all those babies. Wasn't that awesome? I mean, think about it. Child dedication, what greater thing to have and uh, than to see little children being dedicated to the Lord. What an honor and privilege that is as a community, but as a church too. And I love seeing our babies in the building. I love hearing babies in the building. I love all of it. So it's, it's just great. And, uh, and this morning I'm going to thank uh, both Joe and Lindsay for helping out in Children's Chapel as well. You know, we went through this series and I was reminded of just the power of God. Now follow me very quickly before you see this video. But in the very first part of our series on the nature of God, what we, we experienced was He was holy. And yet, I think many times we discredit the holiness of God and, and we, we don't acknowledge just how holy He is. And then we went through the power of God. We understood that it was because of His atoning love and mercy and grace in our life. We have power through Jesus Christ. Amen. And then the third part of the nature of God that really made me think somewhat about my own personal relationship with Jesus Christ was the wrath of God. Now, many people will say, but God is love. And I believe that we live in a world today where people are saying, God is love as a, you know, everything is love, love people. And if you show any difference at all, you are not demonstrating the love of God. But I hope that you learned through that sermon that all through the Old Testament, wherever there was iniquity, there was wrath. There was punishment for living in sin. God does not, it says, He shines on the just and the unjust, but yet God still makes all of us accountable for our actions. We are responsible for sin in our life. As I was walking down the hill this past week and getting ready to commit the body of a 28-year young man named Trevor, who decided that after his rehab that he just needed, as the demon of addiction came back and revisited him, just another hit of that heroin would fix some of my problems. But it didn't. It took his life. And as I stood there amongst a group of people, the funeral in Ravenna at Shorts was packed full of people. People were standing. There were people in this direction and people in that direction. And I stood in the corner and I heard stories of of a young man that touched so many people's lives but couldn't find help for his habit. He knew Jesus Christ. There was a time that that was demonstrated in his life, but still the addiction that kept kept him chained down. And as I stood before all of them, I started off and I said, I would just like to say today that, you know, in the scriptures in Matthew, it says, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then I continue to, to say that most awesome prayer. And then I went through a poem called The Dash Between the Dates. And it says, it doesn't matter if your life in the beginning. You know, we always have a start date and we have an end date. But it's the dash between the dates. 
matters the most because it's what we do most in life. It's just that little dash that leaves an impact. So, as I stood there, then I completed with our prayer of benediction. And I said, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May His face shine upon you. And I remembered as, as I was saying this, I just felt the grace of God and the love of God come over me. And I, I just remember looking around and they asked if people would stick around if they wanted to watch them lower the, the casket and the vault into the grave as they did. There was wailing and there was crying and there was this deep, deep pain and anguish of grief and mourning that took place. But I also felt the nature of God was there. And a lady slipped up next to me and she said, Preacher, can I share something with you? And I said, well, certainly. And as all this activity's going on, she said to me, well, guess what happened to me? And I go, well, what's that? Well, first of all, uh, my sister was actually the deceased, the, the deceased uh, sponsor of his sister, who was still there and is living today, recovering from heroin. Hallelujah, amen. Three years. And I said, uh, really? She said, yes. And I might be in my 60s, but it's been a lot of years since I have uh, been on meth. And I'm a recovering addict as well. But can I just thank you for showing the holiness of God, for showing the power of God, and for acknowledging the wrath of God? Now, I know I just gave you my three points, but that's kind of what she said all in a little sentence. And I said, you're very welcome. But I think we hear people talk about the grace of God but we don't understand the depths of God's grace and forgiveness. And as I stood before all those people, my heart broke because here's a 28-year young man. And I'll share that probably at the end of my message today who really touched a lot of people's lives and had a purpose. And I hope that his influence, right, wrong, or indifferent, I hope that left somewhat of an impact. And I'll share some things with you. But church, I want you to think about the grace of God. It's called unmerited favor. And for some of you, you might feel like, well, there's just not enough forgiveness for me. There's just not enough, but there is. And as we watch this, I want you to see that in this video, I like, I call it the, the do-over. God is a God of second chances. God is a God of third chances. God is a God of fourth and fifth and sixth. He didn't go to the cross just for for entertainment purposes. He went there because he loved you. Watch this explanation. I've heard some people say that grace gives us an excuse to sin. But I don't believe that's what the Bible teaches at all. See, I believe that the Bible teaches us that when we fully receive the grace of God, we actually get power over sin. So I'm going to share with you an illustration today, and it's simply a picture of the power of God's grace at work in our lives. So I want you to imagine with me that there are three paths. There's one path here. It's the path of righteousness. There's one path here. It's the path of temptation. And then there's a third path, and this is the path of sin. So when you get saved, you've believed in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You've accepted the grace of God. You're walking on this path of righteousness. So you're walking down the lane of life. 
And you're thinking, oh God, I'm so grateful. You're so thankful for what Jesus did for you on the cross. And you're just walking down and your relationship with God is where it needs to be. And relationally, you're in right standing with God. And you're saying, God, thank you so much. You're so good. I love you so much. I just want to live my life for you. And then we look over. Because this happens to every single believer at some point. We look over and we see something on that sinful path. And we start thinking, oh man, look at that. That looks good. I wonder if that's going to fulfill me the way that it's promising to fulfill me. And then as soon as we start to meditate on that, as soon as we start to to question it and to wonder about it, we move over here onto the path of temptation. And now we still haven't sinned yet, but now we're a little closer and we're thinking about this. And we're thinking to ourselves, oh, I know I shouldn't do that because... Because of what God's done for me, but I don't know, like that looks pretty good. And eventually we move over here and now we've sinned, we've committed the acts and and we're immediately covered in shame. The devil brings all this shame and condemnation on us and we're thinking, oh God, what have I done? Like, Like Jesus saved me and now look what I've done, look how I've messed this up. And we want to get back over to that path of righteousness. And we're thinking, God, if I could just, maybe if I could just do enough good things, maybe if I could just prove myself again, I could get back over here. But no matter what we do, we can't. We're stuck on this path and we're stuck in the shame. And we're thinking, oh, what do I do? What do I do? I want to have a right relationship with God. And then eventually we get so desperate that we get down on our knees and we say what we said at the start. And we say, God, I have no righteousness of my own. I need your help. I need your forgiveness. I can't do this. And in that moment, whether it's through another believer, whether it's through reading the Bible, or whether it's in our personal prayer time, the Holy Spirit reminds us, Jesus died for you because God loves you, and you are already covered by the blood of the Lamb. And in that moment, we're like, Jesus, thank you so much for dying for me. I receive your grace right now. Thank you. And then we stand up and we walk back over to the path of righteousness. And now we're on the path of righteousness again, and we're just so grateful. We're full of the joy of the Lord, and we're walking along, and, and, and we're in this, we have this full confidence that, that our relationship with God is where it needs to be, and we're just walking along, and we're saying, thank you, God, that I get to be here. But then life happens, and we look over at that sinful path, and we start to think, Oh, look at that thing over there. Like, I wonder if that's going to fulfill me this time. I wonder. And so as soon as we start meditating on that, we move over to the path of temptation. We still haven't sinned yet. But the problem is we've, we've, we've committed that sin before. And, and we remember the shame. And right here, the devil tries to bring that shame and that condemnation back in. And he starts saying, oh, you're going to do it anyways. You might as well do it. We already feel so bad about it. We're like, okay, I'm going to go ahead and do it. And we move over to the sinful path. And now we're just immediately flooded with even more shame and more condemnation when we're looking back over there and we're thinking lord what have i done again i've done this again and we, we're like i want to get back over there god but i but i i don't know if i can I'm, i feel like i'm stuck here lord no matter what i do and then we try to do good things to move back over here but it doesn't work and so we're stuck here and then eventually we get so desperate that we get down on our knees again and we say god i have no righteousness of my own i i can't get back over there lord i, I can't do this on my own I I can't save myself. And in that moment, the Holy Spirit reminds us again, you've already been covered. God loves you. Jesus died for you. Receive my grace today. And we say, thank you, Jesus. And we stand up and we walk right back over here. And now we're walking along in the path of righteousness again. And we're thinking, Jesus, thank you so much for what you have done for me. Thank you so much. I'm so grateful for your love and for your grace. But then life happens again. And we look back over there. And we see that and we start to meditate on the sin, on the sinful path. And we move to the path of temptation. The shame comes back in. We move over here again. The shame and condemnation flood us. We get down on our knees finally and we say, God, oh, I'm so desperate, Lord. I I can't get back over there. And then we're reminded of the grace of God again. And we say, oh, 
oh yeah, thank you, Jesus. And we stand up and we move back over to the path of righteousness. And I know what you're saying. Does this cycle just keep going and it doesn't just keep going? If you're stuck in a sin right now that you feel like you can't get free of, there's a stronghold in your life and you can't get free of it. I believe this is your answer today. So we're walking along in the path of righteousness and we look over there and we see that sin again. And then we move over to the path of temptation because we begin to meditate on it. And then right here, the devil brings in that shame, that condemnation. We already start to feel guilty for it. But then because we've received the grace of God for this before, and because our relationship with him has grown more intimate over time, and because we begin to trust him on a new level, we begin to be honest with him right here about the sin. And we say, God, I, I, I see that sin there, and, and I don't want to go over there, God, because I know where this path leads, God. I don't want to go back over there. I want to be over here with you. And then, and then we're like, God, but I just, I can't, I feel like I can't get free of it. And in that moment, on the path of temptation, because we're so desperate, we get down on our knees and we say, God, I, I can't get free of this. I don't know what to do and in that moment the holy spirit comes in and he reminds us god loves you jesus died for you you've already been covered by the blood of the lamb even if you end up on that path again i've already forgiven you and we say thank you jesus thank you and we stand up and we walk back over to the path of righteousness i don't believe that grace gives us an excuse to sin I believe that it gives us power over sin. Amen. Isn't that true? Now, isn't that powerful? I believe that's, that's the premise for our Christian life, and I believe that uh, grace gives us the power over sin. Can you please turn me down just a tad? I'm getting a little bit of reverb back up here. It might be in the monitors. If you would, please, uh, take your Bible... And turn with me to Exodus 34, 6. The grace of God is often misunderstood subject in churches today. And you heard that I kind of gave a little bit of a, a, a prelude, interlude, whatever you want to call it. And uh, what is grace? And uh, is it okay if I take a little extra time today? I won't, I won't be long, but I just looked at the time and there's no way I can get through my message in 15 minutes. So we're not going to look at the time. We're going to look at... Look at, at our time with God this morning, amen? And I won't bore you to tears, but uh, we'll, we'll get you in and out of here, and I think the time will be, will be well spent. Uh, so the question this morning, are we saved by grace? Are we saved by works? How does God's grace save the believer? And I think this morning that I need to just spend some time and define God's grace. But what are we talking about when we talk about the grace of God? Grace is a word that has much used, yet much is, uh, misused, and much abused word in Christian theology. People talk more and more nowadays about God's grace and completely miss the justice of God. And in so doing, create an, an idol. Some use the concept of the grace of God as a license to sin, which is clearly spoken against in Scripture, and we have learned how God's grace works alongside his justice and his hatred towards sin is an important thing to learn if we are going to draw closer to God and to see how desperate we are for him. Simply put, in speaking about this attribute of God, it means that God shows favor and kindness to us in spite of our deserving the opposite. 
We don't in any way deserve it, but he still offers it freely as a gift. It is most often defined as unmerited favor, and you've heard me talk about it because I always use the word favor, which is God's grace, but it is unmerited favor. It is the favor of God shown to those who not only are unworthy of forgiveness, but who are thoroughly deserving of death and hell. Whenever we think of the grace of God, what usually comes to our minds? What is it that you think about with the grace of God? Many of us would say, oh, it's salvation in the New Testament. People think of Jesus as the one who revealed that part of God's character. Most people do not look at the God of the Old Testament as being a God that is gracious. But this may surprise you. God's grace, his graciousness, mercy, or loving kindness is mentioned more in the Old Testament than in the New Testament. Most people completely miss God's grace in the Old Testament because of all of the times where God shows his justice under that covenant. And here's what it says in Exodus chapter 34, verse 6. It says, The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Then in Isaiah chapter 30, verse 18, it says, Therefore the Lord waits to be gracious to you, and therefore he exalts himself to show mercy to you. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all those who wait for him. And then in Joel chapter 2, verse 13, it reads, Rend your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is what? Gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and he relents over disaster. So what do we notice? God's first act of grace in this world is creation. So we see your creation of man is a work of God's grace. God was not lonely and decided that because he was lonely, he would make this world and put men in it. He didn't have to do that. But because he did, you and I could not only have life, but everything else that we have. Paul says that God gives us life, breath, and all things. In him we live, move, and have our being. The reason we have light, food, water, plants, air to breathe, people, family, friends, that we can be close to, etc., is because God has been gracious and allowed it. And the reason why we have any purpose in life whatsoever is because God has given it to us. These are all things that we tend to take for granted, but we need to remember that God is the one who graciously gives them to us. I think it is safe to say that nothing that we have done, we did on our own. Amen? Nothing. Either God allowed it or made it happen by his grace. Number two, he was gracious in law-giving. He was gracious in law-giving. Watch, whenever we think about God's grace, we usually don't think about all the laws and the commands that he gives us in his word. People today tend to look at God's commands as being a burden and that if you even mention the idea of the law of God, you in some way nullify his grace. But this notion is ridiculous. For it says in 1 John chapter 5, verse 3, For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. God gave his law to his people under what? Under the old covenant. And he gave his commandments and laws in the New Testament for what? For our good. It's all for our good. So it says in Deuteronomy 
You'll see up here, chapter 6, verse 20. So the Lord commanded us to observe all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God for our good, always and for our survival, as it is today. All of this was for our good. He gives us His law by His grace so we can know what He expects of us as His people. He also gives us His law by His grace so we can stay away from things that can be harmful to us. It's like the common illustration of a mother commanding their child not to touch the hot stove. The command was given by the loving mother so the child could be saved from unneeded pain. The same is the case with God's command for his people there. Indeed, for our good always. God's always looking out for us. I remember my mom back in the day. We live, uh, and mom raised us out there in Edinburgh. And we didn't have trash service. Trash service wasn't a place out in a township, out in the country. We weren't city folk. We were country folk. And so we had to have, you know, you separate the cans and you separate the trash. You separate the paper. You separate everything out. And then my stepdad would take those big barrels after they were full of cans. And you'd take those to the dump yourself and dispose of them. And uh, mom said, son, you need to stay back from the fire. And I've never understood this. And this is one of my questions. How many of you have a question you're going to ask God when you get to heaven? which none of us will ever remember because once I'm in the presence of God, everything else goes away from this earth, and I'm sure of it. You know, all these things are old. They'll all be passed away. But, you know, we all keep a little bit of a journal, don't we? And we always tell ourselves, oh, I'm going to ask that question when I get there. And uh, one of this, this question was this for me. Why is it that I caught on fire at a young age as a little boy when I was obedient to my mother? And what happened was my brother went out to burn the trash, and she said, son, stay away from that trash barrel as he takes the trash out and burns it. Well, somebody in their clever uh, artistic ability and strength put a cap back on a milk jug. And so when the milk jug hit the flames, it decided to explode. Now, I don't want you to go home and uh, underneath the screen, if you're watching today, there's a big flashing thing that says, Warning, warning, Will Robinson, do not try this at home, okay? It could be dangerous to your health. Anyhow, but I knew that after this happened that milk was toxic, and that's why I don't drink it anymore. I'm just kidding. But uh, I, think I, I think I am going down a foxtrail here. But anyhow, uh, the thing blew up, and as it blew up, and I can still remember, so it's, I was actually this far away. The trash barrel was back by the, the doors coming into the sanctuary, that far away. It blew up, and I could still remember this day as it went sailing through the air with the greatest of ease, as if somebody had a slingshot and went, pulled it back and let go of it, it landed right on my chest. And I remembered the pain and the days ahead. You all wonder why I, why I preach today, because I experienced hell in a whole other way. <laughs> you never want to experience that kind of hell as your chest was melting with plastic on it. So I immediately went like this as a little boy. As my hands caught on fire, my hands were burnt, my chest was burnt, my neck was burnt. Praise the Lord, today I don't have scarring. Um, you know, I am grateful for that. But it reminded me of this illustration today. You know, God's grace is he's always looking out for us. My mom loved me and she wanted to keep me protected. She wanted to, to look out for me, so she gave me instruction. I obeyed that instruction. However, I probably shouldn't have been out there at all. You know, yeah, it was really cool. Light a match. I don't know. 
And no, I'm not a pyro, whatever it is. Uh, but I don't mess with, with fire like that. And uh, so, matter of fact, because of that to this day, uh, I stand up here and I preach because I don't, don't want to go to hell. And uh, I know I'm not by the grace of God, thanks for his salvation, but no, you do not want to experience ever getting caught on fire. Because it was that day and the day after and the day after and the day after. And the, You know, back in the day, they used to have things like uh, nothing. There wasn't a burn unit. There was nothing. So you know what the good old mom does? Honey, we got to scrub this off of you. we got to peel it off your flesh. How's that for you? I just thought I'd give you a visual. And, uh, you know, back, you know, they don't have. So mom would wrap up my hands and, you know, put salve on them and do everything the doctor told to do. But we didn't have burn units. You just laid there and you suffered. I remember laying there as a little boy and I, and I thought to myself, wow, this is amazing because... You know, God, your love and your grace is, is so merciful. And I was a little, little boy. And, you know, I remember uh, we lived close to the interstate. And I remember just laying there counting the semi-trucks as they went down 76. You know, because we lived right off of the interstate. But I knew then that our God, his grace is all sufficient. And he always gives us warnings. Don't do this. This could hurt you. And we have a tendency to keep doing it over and over again. But... He's always there to pick us up. My mom didn't beat me. The first thing she would say to me was, son, what were you doing out there in that burn pile? You know, what were you doing out there with your brother? She didn't say that. She attended to my needs. And that's the grace of God. That's what God does. He loves us and he nurtures us back to good health. Another reason why God was so gracious in giving us laws to follow is that we could see how we are all falling short. Galatians chapter 3, verse 24 tells us that the commands and laws that God gives us are a tutor or schoolmaster that leads us to Christ. They show that we are sinners in desperate need of a Savior. They show that there is no one that can stand before God based on their own works and innocence. We're guilty criminals before a just God. You follow me? That's one of the attributes of God. And then third, he is, a, he is gracious towards sin. You can tell I'm, I'm trying to get through this quickly, or I could give you a bunch of my illustrations, but I'm always cognitive because it's much like, the only thing I find different in church versus in the morning, why is it that in the morning at 6 a.m. or 5 a.m. or whatever it is when you get off, you set your alarm and you keep hitting the snooze button because you want to keep sleeping. But why in church everybody sets the alarm for me to be quiet? And... Uh, Thank you, honey. I appreciate that. And uh, so we just need to keep hitting that button, right? Because I want to get to something today, and I want us to all to listen very, very closely. This is our finale of grace. What I love about God's grace towards sin is that he was patient. So number three, we notice that he was patient. God was always gracious in his treatment of sin in the Old Testament. And this one may surprise you. Yes, it is true that God called for the slaughter of thousands of people, young and old, in the Old Testament because of their sin. But we tend to overlook all of the grace that God did as he showed it towards sin. First, what did God tell Adam and Eve what happened to them when they sinned? He told them they would die. And the truth is this. God would have been completely righteous in killing them both and starting over with a clean slate. Instead, he was gracious and only pronounced curses on mankind and creation. 
So I stopped and I pondered on that thought. I thought, this, this is really amazing to me. And I had to think about it even more. And I wrote it in red. This is big, bold, red letters. He was gracious and only pronounced curses on mankind and on creation. You know, think about this. God has every right to kill everyone every time they sin. Including you and me. No one would have the right to complain if he did, but he doesn't. He is long-suffering, merciful, and full of grace. And this is the attribute that he showed the most in the Old Testament and continues to show up till today. Up until today. Also think of God's grace and patience that he showed towards Israel in Amos 4. We see that over a period of time, God brought many judgments on his people. He didn't have to be so patient with them. He could have destroyed them and he sent them to captivity right when they sinned, but he did not destroy them. It was because of his grace that he showed love. So he showed patience. How many of you believe that God's been patient with you? Amen. Don't you think that's all of us in this room? Number four, he was gracious towards sin, and then forgiveness was offered. God showed his grace by being willing to set up a system to bring cleansing and atonement for his people. God, by his grace, gave his people a way to receive forgiveness of their sin in the Old Testament. Through what? Through animal sacrifice. Even before the law of Moses... Animal sacrifice was present in the patriarchal system. God killed animals to cover Adam and Eve. Abel Abel brought an animal for a sacrifice. This continued through the patriarchs until Jacob and his family went into Egypt. Then at Sinai, God instituted a system of sacrifice designed to sanctify his people. All of these things we have looked at so far are talking about things God did to display his grace in the Old Testament. But all of these displays of God's grace under the Old Covenant have a purpose. They all point forward to the greatest display of the grace of God, which happens in the New Testament. And this is my final point, but the greatest point and the finale of his grace. And number five is he showed grace at the cross. While we were still the enemies of God, Christ died for us. We were completely helpless without hope. It says in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 7, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. And then in Ephesians chapter 2, which happens to be really the, the model for today's message on grace, says this, and follow with me, if you would, please, up on the screen. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you were formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. 
and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourself, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we could walk in them. We were dead in our sins and deserving of wrath. And one thing is true about dead people, they cannot give themselves life. The reason why we can have life in Christ is because God is gracious and was willing to allow Jesus to die in our place. He raised us out of our death. He made us alive together with Christ. All of this was by his grace. Say that again, preacher. God is gracious and was willing to allow Jesus to die in our place. He raised us out of our death. He made us alive together with Christ. All of this was because of his grace. Because when he called my name, I ran out of that grave. Isn't that amazing? Praise the Lord. How would you answer the question? Why are you going to heaven? Because you are a good person? Because you obeyed the plan of salvation? If you would answer in these ways, you're answering the question wrong. There is nothing you and I can point to and say, I am going to heaven because I did this. And the reason anyone is going to heaven is because God, by his grace, raised them from their state of spiritual death and made them a new creation. Here is a thought. There's been a debate for many years about the relationship between the faith and works and grace and works. Some say that you must do works to earn your salvation. Some say no effort on your part in any way brings you about your salvation. And if you say you need to do something to be saved, you're teaching works righteousness. Both of these ideas are equally wrong. It says in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity. And in Romans chapter 11, verse 6, it says this, but if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of work. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. In Galatians 5, verse 4 says this, you have been severed from Christ, you who are seeking to be justified by law, you have fallen from grace. For by grace are you saved. Teaching that you need to earn the grace of God by doing works is heresy. It also is the idea that if we say that if there is no action that we must do to receive God's gift of eternal life, You must ignore too many verses in which the apostles of Christ gave commands to lost people about what they must do to be saved. The faith alone doctrine came about during the Protestant Reformation because of an overreaction to the false teachings of works righteousness by the Catholic Church. We need to learn from this to be careful of creating doctrines in reaction to false teachings. Both of these teachings are heresy. So if both of those are false beliefs, what relationship does grace and works have? So I say all this in closing. And I'm going to go straight to the end of my message. Because I think that there's something that I need to say to all of you today. 
that the gospel is the power of God that leads to salvation for those who believe. And when you look in the, in the scriptures, in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 9, for by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourself, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So every Thursday we have new hope for recovery. And, you know, let me, let me just back up just a little bit. Let, let's make this very, very relevant and real for all of us. For many of you, you've walked into the church and it's just been the church. You practice your religious freedoms and liberties. You go because maybe a sister or a brother or a mother or a father, but are you going to have a deeper relationship with God? You know, I can, I can add illustrations in there as I taught the, the children this morning during discipleship class about the grace of God and taking Play-Doh and letting the kids form the Play-Doh and showing how God forms us and shapes us and what the scripture says, you know, it's by his grace, we're workmanship, we're created in Christ Jesus. And, you know, and I can make it fun and exciting, but I find it, even when I did the Unstoppable God series, I, I found it very convicting for me. And it's very hard for me to get through sermons like this because I find that when you're talking about the very nature of God and the attribute of God, you're really talking about his character. You know, we misconstrue and misinterpret people's characters or characteristics because we only know them on a surface level. You know, the reason why people get angry at God through death is because you only know him on a surface level. The only way that you can experience the grace of God and understand him is to understand that as you fall deeper in love with him, that every time that you cry out and ask for forgiveness, God is there to pick you up from the depths of your sin and from the hurt, the hang up or habit or whatever you're going through, that pain and pull you up off of that place and out of that place where you've been suffering. So back when I was about 13, I loved Ephesians 2, 8, 9. I think it was one of the first verses that I memorized before I ever memorized John three sixteen. Can I just say this? We come from sin as by one man sin entered into the world. And so death was passed upon all, all men, for we're all sinners. It was passed down from generation to generation to generation. I'm thankful that Father Abraham had many sons and many sons had Father Abraham. I'm glad that I'm part of that great heritage and legacy that God promised. Now let me make this real for you today. I'm humbled to be able to brag on a God that is my first love. Last night we have, as you noticed, Mike and Amanda came in in their Christmas, their pajamas this morning because they had breakfast with Santa at Cuddy's. And we all camped together. They're across from us. And a man pulled up who actually visited us last week. And we talked about all kinds of things about the law. About what was expected of him. What his dad expected from him. His dad was a minister. I was hoping they'd be here this morning. But I will tell you, then I looked at him, I said, aren't you glad you've fallen in love with Jesus? And I leaned kind of on, on top of his golf cart and I looked down at him and I said, because I need to tell you something. You just saw my wife and all my kids here. 
And we were going around and seeing all the sites that were decorated and, and just enjoying all of it. Actually, we were right outside Mike and Amanda's place, and we won't tell you who he was, but he had a white beard. And I looked in at him and I said, do you know who my first love is? It's Jesus. He said, really? I knew my dad's first love was Jesus. But he just didn't demonstrate it well for me. I'm like, if Jesus is the Jesus of love and grace that you're talking about, why are you so hard on me and mean? So many rules and regulations and laws. and It's just awful, you know. I love my, my kids. I love that growing them up, people would say, wow, you let your kids do this? Yeah, because that's grace. They have to make choices. And so, as we journey into this illustration, then I'm going to close with this story. If you don't understand the difference between God's grace, and I'll read them here for you. Number one, we saw God's first act of grace in this world was what? Creation. Then two, we saw he was gracious in law-giving, right? We come across real harsh. Some people have shared some stories of Catholic school and how difficult the nuns were because everything was love. I mean, law. Yeah, when you live in the law, there's no love. Joanne couldn't wait till she was out of there. She wanted to run for her life. She probably thought every day she was going to school that, am I going to make it out of this place alive? Then two, we saw that, I mean three, he is gracious towards sin. He was patient. And then four, he's gracious towards sin. He's forgiveness because forgiveness is offered. And then we can come at the foot of the cross. So I got up Monday morning and Sunday night I just kind of wrestled and it's 12 to 3 a.m. And I'm tossing and I'm turning and I'm stressed out and I'm thinking, what am I going to say at this funeral? God, you know I have a journey where, you, where, where some of these people have been. I don't, I don't understand this pain. I have loved ones that have gone through addiction, but I've, I've even led Celebrate Recoveries. I've helped people. I've counseled people. They've come into my office, but I just, what am I going to say? And so I got up and started at 9.30. I finished. I remember looking at my, my watch. It was 11.17. Ran upstairs, got my shower, was at Shores Funeral Home in Ravenna at, uh, at noon on Monday. The family, a couple of the family members were there. I walked in. They had the video playing, and then I saw the young man laying there. And still at this point thinking, oh, God, please give me. And this is probably my 150th funeral. What am I going to say? How can I comfort these people? How do you tell somebody it's okay when you just lost your 28-year young son? It's never okay. Yeah, for us, see, it's okay to hear a story because we didn't have a relationship with them. But see, the days ahead for mom and for grandma and sister and brother is going to be difficult because they have to journey through that grief and mourning. And yet I stood up there and I'm thinking, what am I going to say? And I'm looking around to people and this was before it started and the place kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And I said, okay, God. And I walked back and I looked at Brad and I looked at his daughter and I said, I've taken over your office. He said, okay. I knew they missed me being around there as often as I used to be since we're over here and they're over there. Because he said, do you have a problem with me? This is the funeral director. Where have you been? I said, I guess it's good, huh? <laughs> you haven't seen me in a long time. I guess it's good for a preacher, right? So I went in his office and I sat and I bowed my head and I said, God, I need your help. And I'm going through all these points. 
oh, I'm going to say, you know, John 14, I had it all worded. And I'm up there and, and I said, oh, I can't wait to, to, you know, give these points. I mean, I, I knew what I was going to say. And God said, oh, you're not going to say that. And I, as I was sitting there listening to these testimonies, it's difficult sometimes to be in my place as a minister. But I want to tell you this. It hit me while I was hearing these stories of a young man who was 28 years old, who was incarcerated, who went through rehab, who all these people came up that it was dealing with addictions. Addictions on a level that they couldn't sit still during the whole ceremony. And some came up and they spoke. And my heart started to break to the point I walked up to the pulpit and did this. Well, I'm going to do this today. And I leaned on it just like this. I said, can I talk to you like we're we're in the living room? And they all clapped, which I've never been to a funeral where everybody clapped as much. It made me feel really comfortable. David said, Pastor Todd's coming to preach, and the whole place broke out in a big cheer. I'm like, okay, this was a little different. made me feel uh, comfortable at a moment when I was feeling very uncomfortable. But I said, I know that God's grace is sufficient. But I looked over at this young man, and I knew his earthly life, there was struggle. But I saw something that just kind of correlated with today's message. He demonstrated love. This inmate, he gets up and he walks up behind, uh, he was roommates with him, he called him roomies. And the one guy got up and said, well, we, you weren't really roomies, you were inmates together, and they both laughed. But he got up and he said, you know, I'll never forget when I was down on my bunk and I was talking and I was crying that this 300-pound guy crawled down up from the top bunk all the way down and got in bed with me. His sponsor walked from the back, and as he walked forward and he stood behind the podium, he said this. He said, you know, this young man right here was a character. He was funny, and he, and he brought life and light to so many people. He said, you know, I'm probably old enough to be his grandpa, but I'm more like his dad. And he said, uh, but this young man was funny. I mean, one night I got home and went to get in bed, and he flips the covers over. I wonder why there was like this big mound in my bed. He was in my bed. How many of you have had Trevor in your bed? And a bunch of them wait, raised their hand. I'm like, okay, now this is getting different for me, a little weird, but we don't know what's going on here, but... I'm, uh, you know, but that was his, that was his humor. So everywhere he went, every time people would get ready to go to bed, he would be in their bed. But he got down and he hugged this guy. And you know what that, that taught me? That taught me that's the same measure of love that God gives us when we do wrong. He comes down and he wraps his loving arms around us and he loves us and he holds us and he says, it's okay, I'm here to help you get through this. And so I'm standing up there, and I said, well, I, I want to talk to you about something real. I've had a brother who was a heroin addict, a son-in-law that was a heroin addict. I said I had a stepsister that went through a windshield from driving drunk. And I've never, do you know I've not talked about Julie, Mom, ever in my life. This past week, everything just started flooding me, these, these emotions and feelings. And, um, and I thought, wow, this is... This is kind of bizarre. And I said, so I know your pain. Listen to me. It's difficult when you live a life in sin. It's difficult when you live a life in the dark. But I'm here to tell you 
that if you know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, that you can walk in light because He is light. And I love Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, and I say it all the time, that the Lord needs to be our light. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and to glorify your Father which is in heaven. Now, as I was talking to him, I said, heroin is a killer. And I'm thinking to myself, am I really doing this right now? And if you've ever stood in front of people, you know, they want the pastor to be somewhat comforting. But I want it to be somewhat real. And I want people freed. I Listen, church, I have the favor of God on my life because of my commitment and love for Christ. And because of his love for us, he has showed his favor to my wife and I and to our family. Maybe for some of you, you might sleep through my messages. Maybe for some of you, you might, you know, you're tired. Your eyes might roll. But I knew that even though God took this 28-year young man home, that he was a light to a lot of people. Over 200 people there. I want to say there was probably 60 addicts that were there. And we had a great time in the Lord. It really was a great time of just praise and worship and and just reflection. But I said, if you want to be like Trevor, and on his, they all wore these shirts that says this. Everybody loves Trevor. Hashtag, I'm kind of a big deal. Well, that's when God was sitting there, I'm like, oh, time out, everybody. He's not a big deal. God's a big deal. And let me tell you about how big and how great and how awesome our God is. So if we can let our light shine, we can show the grace of God. We can show the favor of God. We can show our unending extended measure of love. Listen, there's freedom for you. There's deliverance for you. There, you can be free if you'll let go and let God. And I said, can I have a word of prayer with you? Before I do that, I need you to slip up some hands. How many of you need prayer today? And people raise their hands. How many of you need Christ today? People raise their hands. We all need it, right? We all need that in our life. And as I bowed my head, listen, this just happened Monday afternoon. I changed my whole message to, he's a big deal, to he was a light in a dark place. And I was praying and I said, Lord, we thank you that your light shines. And as I was praying this, I felt this light come on my left eye because I was at an angle and he was in the bay window. Now, church, if you question the power of God, then I'm here to tell you today, try it. He'll show up. And I did one of these things. Yes, I did it. I I peeked. As I did, that whole casket lit up. Do you hear what I'm saying? That whole casket lit up. I heard this in the whole room. (gasps) Did you see that? What just happened? (gasps) All these 200 people were gasping. Let me tell you what just happened. God demonstrated His grace to people to show them just like the video said. I'll give you first, second, third, fourth, fifth. But you must change. You have to change. And when I was done and said amen, I looked at all of them. I said, isn't this 
amazing. The whole place broke out in cheers. They just, it was, listen, when I said amen, the whole casket area went dark again. It was the most divine spiritual encounter. Now, I've had that happen several times as I prayed, but church, this is why I said, today, I want to give a finale, and I want to just praise the name of Jesus and to let you know that when you feel you're alone, when you feel that God is not with you, when you feel that you can't make it, God is for you. He's not against you. That is one of the greatest attributes and natures of God. He loves you. And I'll remember that as long as I live. And yes, I could go on for a half an hour and tell you some stories of that day that were just spiritual, Holy Spirit, supernatural. And when you feel you want to give up on your loved one that has some form of an addiction, I want you to say this, God, help me to show grace, help me to show love, help me to demonstrate that same measure of love. I didn't ask you to bring them in your house. I didn't ask them to do that. I said just show love. The more love you show, the more grace you show, the more Christ will show up. We're all challenged by that. So church, do you know Him as your Lord and Savior? Do you know it's not by works, it's by His grace that we are saved. Through faith, it's not by our righteousness. It's not by our works. It's by the love of Christ. It's because of the cross of Christ. Let us pray. Let's rise to our feet. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you that, Lord, in this song where it says the same power that rose you from the grave, the same power that has delivered those from addiction, the same power that has freed us from pornography, that same power that has freed us from an illness, that same power that has freed us from whatever iniquity that we have been participating in is the same resurrected power that comes through the blood of Jesus Christ. And Father, today I thank you that your that your love and your grace is all sufficient for me, for us, for this world. So God, I thank you. I thank you that, Lord, in the midst of anxiety and, and stress and nerves, that God, you showed a broken and wounded world that you are here. So, Father God, we love you. We thank you again for being here with us. Let us just take this time. Let us take this moment to experience your grace, to experience your love, and to experience your power. And if there's somebody here today that has been struggling with some form of iniquity sin in their life, God, deliver them today in the name of Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen.